0: Alan Emery was a Christian businessman. He worked with Billy Graham's organization for many years. But he started out his career by inheriting his father's wool and textile empire. And so he went on a wool buying trip. This was many years ago. I think in the 1930s. Maybe the early, sometime between 1930 and 1950. That's a good range for you. He's there in Texas. He's on the prairie. He's with the the shepherd. And they're laying out in the, on the prairie at night, and they hear that wail of coyotes. And all of a sudden, the shepherd's dogs start to growl. The sheep kind of get up, and they're alarmed. They start bleeding pitifully. And the shepherd got up. He tosses more logs onto the fire, and the flames go up. And in the glow, Alan looked out, and he saw thousands of little light, lights, lights, It was the eyes, the reflection of the eyes of the sheep. And he realized that it was, as he's realizing it's the sheep, it dawned on him that in the midst of danger, the sheep were not looking out into the darkness, but were keeping their eyes set in the direction of their shepherd. Because they know that they're dependent on, Upon their shepherd. And it is not the absence of trouble that marks the Christian life. It's not. It's our dependence upon the Lord in the midst of our troubles and our trials that marks the Christian life. David knew a thing about being a shepherd, didn't he? And he wrote those words that we know so well from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And uh, David needs that. Because Saul is pursuing him. And it's unrelenting. David has been anointed king, but ever since then, About the, I mean, the one high point would seem to be defeating Goliath, and that was a high point, but things have kind of gone south from there. They're not good, and David is on the run, and he's desperate, and I don't know about you, but my desperation doesn't often look pretty. I don't know about yours, but when I get desperate, it's not a good look. It's often... Not pretty in the way that it unfolds. And that's true of David here too. Though he is the anointed king. He's learning and growing in his dependence upon the Lord. And desperation can create the atmosphere that is needed for us to grow in that dependence. When do you feel desperate? Oftentimes it's when our circumstances are so out of our control that we don't know what to do. We don't know who to talk to. We don't know what buttons to push. We don't know what change to make or what direction to go. That's when we feel desperate. And so we're there sometimes, some days, and we don't want to feel that. We don't enjoy that, and yet we find ourselves there. And so my theme this morning is this. We may become desperate, but we remain dependent Upon The Lord and so we are dependent upon God's provision. We are dependent upon God's protection We are dependent upon God's purpose and we're going to see each one of those things in David's life here First his provision he again I've said he's living life on the run and he can't stay in any one place long He doesn't seem to have any food. He doesn't have any weapons. He doesn't have any shelter so he goes to Nob, which is just a little bit north of Jerusalem, and it's where the tabernacle is located right now. Now he's received some help already from Jonathan, from Michael, from Samuel. And now he runs to the house of the Lord, and there he meets Ahimelech, the priest, a great grandson. Sorry, a great yeah, grandson of Eli. And David's appearance is met with some trepidation by Ahimelech as he comes. Maybe he knows that David is on the run. Maybe he knows that David is sought. He knows also that David has been a servant in the king's court, a commander in Saul's army. So it seems strange that David shows up on his own. With no food, no weapons, no shelter. Uh, Maybe Ahimelech's heard the rumors. Why is David alone and we see that he comes to Dave verse one he came to meet David he's trembling why are you alone and no one is with you now David for his part he's got a ready answer maybe he was thinking about that what do I say to him like when I see him and he asks me why I'm alone ah well I'm on a top secret mission for the king and I have to do such and such and some of that stuff I mean it's very vague isn't it And so that's what he tells Ahimelech, and we're not told why David tells this lie, this story, other than his desperation, we can imagine, but we're just told that he does. His answer there in verse 3 is a little hasty. I mean, he says, here's what I'm doing, now give me whatever you have on hand, five loaves, I'll take anything. We're not told why, again, why he deceived him, but maybe he's trying to protect Ahimelech, so that you'd have some plausible deniability later, which does not work if you go to chapter twenty two but M like does have some bread it's just not common bread, it's not everyday bread it's holy bread it's the bread that was only for priests. it was the bread that the, God, uh, the god's people were commanded to bake every Sabbath twelve loaves representing twelve tribes placed. On a table in the holy place in the tabernacle. This is what we call the show bread. Or the bread of presence. So we hear about that in Leviticus 24. uh, That command to do that. And also it indicates that that bread is for the priests to eat. It's for, for their provision when it's removed and fresh bread is put in its place. And that bread was a reminder of the Lord's provision for his people. And in a particular provision for his priests, but God fed his people in the wilderness, he provided them food. This bread was evidence, a reminder of that. And now David, not a priest, but David will receive this, too, not because he deserves it, not because he has the right position, but because David is dependent upon the Lord's provision at this particular point. And so the holy bread becomes daily bread for David. It's exactly what we are taught to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And we can be desperate in prayer at times, too. And that's okay, if that's where we are. And if David's story sounded a little off before, it does so even more after he asked for a weapon. All right, first, give me whatever you got in the cupboard. And you got any weapons around here? I'm on the king's mission, but hey, I I need some help here. (laughs) And the priest, probably not accustomed to carrying weapons or having them around, says, uh, yeah, I I have one, just one. It's Goliath's sword. You may remember You may remember that the Lord was with you and provided victory to Israel. So I'm going to give you this sword. And it's a tangible, visible reminder of how David had been provided for in the past. How the Lord had been with him. Some years have passed since that victory in the Valley of Elah. And maybe David had not forgotten Certainly not. But maybe that memory had grown dim. Isn't that possible? The memories that you have of God's past provision and the victory that is given in your life as days go on and as trials and troubles accumulate, sometimes those things grow dimmer and you need reminders. So here it is for them. Sword of David. And I kind of in my mind, I don't know about y'all, but because David was a big guy, I picture a big sword, like really big. That's what I picture. I don't know if that's right or not. But something will be there in your past that will remind you now of God's provision. I have a poster that I show our new preschool families every year when we welcome them in the summer. I, I, I keep it. In my office, it says, I love you, Pastor Adam. Uh, Pastor's not quite spelled right. Adam's not spelled right. uh, But a little girl who's probably now about 14, Jordan, one of our preschoolers, did this for me while I was going uh, through treatment. I kept this because this is a tangible reminder, not just of Jordan's love. But of the community of love that I received here in the church and from the preschool. I have those things because sometimes I need to be reminded that God has been with me. He has provided for me. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a poster or sword. I'd like to know if you have a sword. It doesn't have to be that. But is there something, a word, a song, a hymn, a scripture any of those things can serve to remind us because God is constantly providing for us we don't ju- we don't often recognize it but we are dependent upon it and David's desperate but he's still dependent and so he goes from the tabernacle into Ahimelech to Gath and Like I said, our desperation doesn't always look pretty, mine doesn't, David's didn't. He's gone from Nob to Gath, and I know that may not mean much to you, but, and we read this in verse 10, that he goes to Achish, the king of Gath. Let's just say that that's not exactly friendly territory. When the Philistines were defeated, after Goliath was defeated by David, they were routed and they were pushed back. And one of those places was Gath. So David is going to one of the places where the people that are his enemy are. So he's got enemies all around him. There's nowhere safe for him. Saul continues to hunt him. So maybe he thinks if I go there, Saul won't won't get after me there. And so he's now in this Philistine city. And let me tell you one more thing. Gath was the hometown of Goliath. So now David's carrying his sword. Going to this hometown, it doesn't, our desperation doesn't always make sense, does it? And so that's where David is now. And he's going to be dependent upon God's protection here. And so he he flees to this town He's carrying the sword with him. He's probably not thinking clearly. At least it doesn't seem like that. Maybe he thinks nobody will recognize me here. He goes to the king, King Achish, possibly to hire him out. You know, like, hey, I got a sword. I, whatever you need me to do. Need me to do the sword stuff. And certainly the Philistines had enemies besides Israel. So maybe David can make himself useful for that. It's a desperate plan. Too much to hope for that he might go unnoticed. In fact, it doesn't take long before we're told that he's arrived there. Verse 10. And then verse 11, the servants of Achish are saying, Hey, you know who that is? Isn't this David? The king of our enemies? The king of the land? Don't they sing songs about him? It's really popular on the top 40 charts in Israel. Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. I mean, that's a hit. And so David is recognized. He's called the king of the land. We better not let Saul hear that. The song, we better not let Saul hear that either. And this is not going to work out as planned. Verse 12, and David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So now he's afraid of Saul and now he's afraid of this king. He's got trouble. And so, what does he do? <laughs> it's, I'm going to act crazy. I'm going to act like a madman. I'm going to act like I'm insane. Now, it may be that David knew that in some ancient cultures, and this is what was motivating him to do this, it's desperation anyway, that people who were insane might be bad luck or something along those lines, and you wouldn't want to keep them around for long. And so maybe that's what's going on david knows that for his part akish says i've got enough madman madmen around here i don't need another one i mean you know I, I, we're full on those and so david he he plays his role he acts as he as he does he's afraid underneath it all and akish allows the detained david to become the departed david he does not want any part of him and his madness and so David is on the move. And we look at this and we say, well, that was a close call. Uh, ma- I mean, David really got away with that. What was he thinking going to Gath? Was he just lucky to get out of there alive? Should we revel in his cleverness? As we look, I would say, well, there's, I mean, wow, when all else fails, act crazy. Well, actually, what we should do is we should look at David's own reflections on this experience And you can do that, Not we're just going to pick just a few verses, but both Psalm 34 and Psalm 56 are connected to this experience. So if you read what I call verse 0, which is scripture, but it's that little heading before verse 1. Sometimes it's just musical notations, but some of them, the Psalms of David, will tell you this is what it's connected to. So Psalm 34 and Psalm uh, 56, and David does not take credit for his deliverance. He doesn't thank his lucky stars. He expresses his trust in the Lord who made the stars and who delivered him from a desperate situation. We heard in verse 12 that David was afraid, and we know that, but listen to what David says in Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise in God. I trust I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And that's repeated again later in that psalm. And so David's looking to the Lord. Yes, he was afraid. But as he steps back, he recognizes God's protection. He was dependent upon the will of the Lord, he's. He has nothing else at his disposal. And so Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me fr- and delivered me from all my fears. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the affliction, afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of all of them. And as I had a chance to visit Jacob and Rachel in the hospital and I read Second Corinthians five which speaks of our groaning as our bodies go through difficulty and we feel that and we groan. One of the things I said, and I believe this very strongly is it's not the absence of our groaning. That is a mark of our faith to groan through the difficulties is right. It is appropriate, but where do we go with that groaning? We go to, The Lord, it's not the absence of trouble that marks the Christian life, as I said earlier, but our dependence upon the Lord in the midst of those troubles and those trials. If it was the absence of those things, none of us would be able to say, hey, uh, you know, look at what I have. Look at who I follow. Because none of us would be free from that. And maybe like David, there will come a time. When we will have a chance, maybe not in the moment, because it's hard in the moment, isn't it? But when you look back upon your trials and your tribulations and your afflictions and see your dependence upon God, then maybe you'll have occasion to sing a song. To sing a new song. To rejoice. Because you're able to see indeed that God has protected you. And he's delivered you. And maybe others will attribute some success of ours or yours to good luck or good fortune or your own hard work. But we will commit to returning in praise to the Lord for what He's given. We will know and we will sing and we will praise the Lord. And so David's dependent upon God for his provision and for his protection. And finally, for his purpose, he goes from Israel to Philistia, to Israel again. His next stop on his outlaw tour brings him to the cave of Adullam. It's halfway between Gath and Jerusalem, still a bit of a distance from uh, Saul's base of operations. And the caves in this region can provide shelter and protection for David. He's alone previously, but now he's not. We see a shift now. We see that David's family joins him as they're probably in danger as well from King Saul, who's increasingly growing unstable. And that's not surprising. But then in verse two, listen to this. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul Gathered to him, and he became commander over them, and they were with him about 400 men. You see, David becomes this captain, and they form the backbone of his fighting force. And this is how the Lord works in fulfilling his purposes using the weak, using the desperate, using the lowly to promote his grace exactly what paul says in first corinthians the world will call it foolish but god calls it his plan his will his design and remember those who were jesus jesus's disciples who they were they weren't exactly the cream of the crop culturally speaking they weren't princes they weren't officials we had some fishermen we had a tax collector Boy, they were popular at the parties. It it was a ragtag group. And yet, from that, and because of who Jesus is, billions of people have followed Christ. Billions upon billions. Can you imagine? In verses 3 and 4, real quick, David takes his family To Moab, that's not Israel, makes a request to the king. The king grants the request. He's looking for protection for his family. But do remember who David's great-grandmother was. Ruth, the Moabitess. And maybe that's the basis of of his appeal. I don't know. Maybe he says, hey, I'm part Moabite. Will you help? And that help is given And certainly that's not all that God was doing. But here now, many years later, we see that even in Ruth's circumstance and Naomi's circumstance, which Jacob was going to preach about, speaks to what is happening now. You see, God is at work in ways that you can't understand, but he has purposes that are greater than you can know. And we can rejoice in that and we can depend upon that. And then a prophet comes, and David doesn't know what the future will hold, but he is willing to listen and obey the word, words of God's prophet. And that's the difference, the fundamental difference between the current king and David, the future king. He's dependent upon God here, whereas Saul is dependent upon himself and his own fading power. It's not going to lead to the lap of luxury right now, but to caves and forests and still yet danger. And yet the safest place for David to be is in following the Lord's purposes as they are revealed to him. And that is true for you and me, too. The safest place for us to be. Is in the Lord's purpose. Psalm 57, one and two, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God, most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Which is where we all need to be as well. Even now, let me change that, especially when we are desperate. I don't know what it looks like in your life. I have a sense of what it looks like in my life. And no, it's not pretty. But I desire and I desire with you to grow in God's dependence, in our dependence on God's provision. Recognizing all that he's given to us, past and present, and what he's promised to us in the future. Depending upon his protection, that God is with us. He will not leave us or forsake us. And realizing that God has purposes beyond what I can see, what I know, what I can understand right now. And it might be centuries or generations in the working. But I will take refuge in my God now. And trust him with the rest. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your love for us. And we're feeling things deeply in lots of ways. Some of it's personal. Some of it's close. Some of it's memories. Some of it's fears. But Lord, it's where we are. And so we pray that you'd minister to us deeply by your spirit, in your word, and through one another. And Lord, help us to fulfill your purposes as you protect us from the evil one. And you've delivered us from our sin. And... The domain of darkness and death. And Father you continue to provide for us. Day in and day out. We thank you for that. And we pray in Jesus name. Amen.